0: Welcome to the Lawn and Garden Podcast with University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Erschebeck. Originally aired on KGOS and KERM in Torrington, join Jeff, Jerry, and their special guests as they talk all things gardening in Wyoming. Our Lawn and Garden Podcast helps you improve your home garden or small acreage.
1: All right. Good morning, everybody. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshbeck for the KGUS KERM lawn and garden program. Good morning, Jerry. How are you today? Good morning, Jeff. I'm doing great. Thanks. Warming up after a fun week. Oh, my. (laughs)
2: Rebounding. (laughs) Rebounding is what I'm looking forward to.
1: All right. Excellent. And our guest today is Donna Hoffman from uh, University of Wyoming Extension in Casper. And we are glad to have you here with us, Donna. Good morning
3: good morning it's always good to join you
1: all uh we will take a few moments and listen to our sponsors and we'll be back right after this
0: you are listening to the lawn and garden podcast presented by university of wyoming extension extending the land grant mission across the state of wyoming with a wide variety of educational programs and services visit us at wyoextension.org.
1: Good morning, everybody. Once again, this is Jeff and Jerry for the KGUS-KERM Lawn and Garden program. Our guest today is Donna Hoffman, and we are talking about fall stuff, <laughs> particularly the, the wild and wacky week we've had this week, uh, and uh, possibly discuss the things that we did this last weekend in preparation for uh, weirdness, <laughs> lots of snow. Uh, Donna, you uh, you sent me a picture this week of your yard and how much snow did you get on Tuesday?
3: Well, I didn't measure it, but I'm guessing we had about three, maybe four inches in our yard.
1: Yeah, and it, it was nice to see your, your greenhouse still
3: greenhouse still up, up. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and my my marriage survived the construction of that little apparatus so Even better. A thing.
1: Uh, you mentioned that you put a heater in there to keep it warm a propane heater uh, how did that work out for you
3: Seemed to keep things about 40 degrees we put it on the lowest setting possible and uh, it's one of those that my husband has had and used when he would ice fish in a hut and just kind of oh, keep yeah. the edge off when it gets pretty darn cold outside in the winter time and so With the enclosure in the greenhouse, it it stayed just above freezing, which is all we really needed.
1: Did you notice that usually with a propane heater, it gives off, uh, what is it, CO2 and water vapor? Did you notice that there was accumulation of moisture on the inside?
3: There was some moisture accumulating on the inside. We probably didn't have maybe as much as a greenhouse that was sealed up really well because we put roll-up sides on the side of this one and one of the reasons we decided to put the heater in there is there was a bit of a gap. Um, oh, okay. We kind of left one side rolled up all summer long. And when we unrolled it, it didn't roll all the way to the ground on one end. So there was a well, gap. Well,
1: that's, that's
2: for planning.
3: For planning, yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and once your temperatures rebound, you can you can rectify that by uh, resheating or gluing on or yeah. sewing on.
3: Yeah. Adding uh, a piece.
2: Adding a piece of plastic. Maybe after um some counseling.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: it's
3: funny how this job and and activities that we do in in this job and in the gardens sometimes requires mediation between two oh my I word think responsible parties based on a, a garden that's supposed to be all fun and games. Yeah. Exactly.
2: But, We've talked about this kind of before several times on several different issues. And yeah, you know, you you should have a game plan and be okay with the game plan or just allow the other one to just go, Hey, uh, I see you. You're worthy. Go ahead and take charge. And I'll just weed eat Uh, one way or the other. That's called obedience. (laughs) (laughs) It was not. In our marriage, it was never honor and obey. It was aid and abet.
3: <laughs> and I did tell Mark that when we were getting married, there was going to be no obeying in our marriage. Trials. So um, yeah, that was not going to happen. How's, that, how's that working
1: out for you, Donna? <laughs> <laughs>
3: there are times when I find my quiet side and I just wait and watch till the decision-making is done. But uh,
1: yeah. So uh, Jerry, <laughs> before the program, uh, I was harassing you a little bit. You know, you were supposed to have a uh, rototilling event this
2: weekend. Yeah, uh, that got that got uh, pushed back. Okay. Um, so I did get a bunch of my seeds that I wanted to plant, and you know, the weather kind of pushed it away, and then some other activities pushed it away. So. My rototilling event is is pushed into the near future. OK. All right. The rescheduling of the rototilling the event. Rescheduling
1: of the event. You know, one of the nice things about I don't know if it was nice or not. I uh, uh, the, the forecast for this crazy week, um, you know, it by Friday last week, we knew that uh, this uh, weird thing was coming. Which allowed us to not only jo- enjoy a Labor Day weekend, but enjoy a labor weekend. Saturday, which was the plan anyway, uh, we uh, rented a aerator and went through and aerated all of our turf, which it definitely needed that. And then I was able to get down some fertilizer over the top of that and re- reseed a little bit in some places where uh, our turf has struggled. <laughs> Which is hard to believe, but I've got areas that are Jeff, that are kind of rough. Jeff, your uh,
3: turf that you installed was originally sod, right?
1: Well, I have a mixture, Donna. Um, oh, okay. The very first bit that we put in, uh, we actually grew from seed. And I think I'm trying my darndest to kill it one way or another. <laughs> and then uh, we had uh, three other locations where we put sod in. And so, yes, there are some definite differences between the two. And, you know, I'm still learning.
3: <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you patching spots that were originally seeded or originally sodded?
1: Originally seeded. The, the sod is, has done quite well, I okay. think. You know, it's okay. a nice full mat. All the seams have filled in really nicely. And so uh, the sod has worked out really well. I just have to be better at adjusting my sprinkler heads. There's, there's some work that I need to do this fall to make sure that they're, that places are getting adequate water. But it's one of those things I look at it and go, yeah, I'll get it next week. Uh, <laughs> it's really low priority for me. Right. And then when it shows up brown and dying, <laughs> like, oh, crap, I should have worked on that a month ago.
3: <laughs> you know, if you just put it on your to-do list and get it done, you'll be happier. It's i know the, the investment of the half hour to an hour of your time i
2: either, know and I've, either that I've got, donna or else you have just an extremely long list
3: oh no, that that could be too yeah
2: but that's what
1: june is like for us is okay. a bunch of long lists um yeah. i've got one head that for whatever reason it it keeps backing out of the threaded mount and we'll find it in your yard We'll find it in the middle of the yard, just blown out. It's like, how does that happen?
3: <laughs> Have you tried some Teflon tape or some Teflon? Um, uh, my husband has used some Teflon liquid stuff. It's kind yeah, of yeah.
1: Like, so, so right now, I'm choosing. I'm choosing to ignore it.
3: Well, that.
1: did you? Everybody blow your- needs. Everybody needs a geyser in their yard, right?
2: <laughs> did you blow your sprinklers out yet this year?
1: Uh, no, I didn't blow them out, but I did drain the risers. So I turned off all the water, took all the hoses off the spigots, that type of thing. And then uh, on the automatic sprinklers where the riser comes up to the anti siphon valve, I drained them, but I didn't blow anything out because I don't think that, you know, it was supposed to get cold, but it didn't freeze hard enough to
3: yeah, affect anything yeah, underground. Near zero.
2: Yeah. And now rebounding temperatures. Yeah. Yes. So,
1: so I, before we jump to that, I, I have a, I have a wives' tale that we would like to rediscuss. <laughs> um, the cicadas. Uh, we, we talked about the first time that you hear the cicadas, other people call them locusts, which are incorrect. They're cicadas. <laughs> uh, was July 9th. So, if you think July, August, September 9th, that day that we got the really cold weather. So that's eight weeks, right? So is there
2: some truth to that? I don't know. But it there worked might, out this year. There <laughs> might be, because a lot of those old wives, they they knew how to do poultices. They knew how to break fevers. They could tell when the cow needed to be milked, the calves to be dehorned. I mean, all, all that stuff. That's why they made the Farmer's Almanac. And I think they, they credit old wives in there. I don't know if they do or not, but they should.
1: So anyhow, it was uh, it was kind of odd and, and just kind of maybe slightly disturbing that um, so the cicadas might have indicated this cold snap.
3: Because I am not in an area where we get cicadas, I am unfamiliar with the wives' tale. So the wives' tale indicates that once the cicadas appear, then you've no. only got eight weeks to go. When From they the-
1: start singing. When you first start to hear them, uh-huh. and I can't remember if it's six weeks or eight weeks, but it's uh, it, if it happened to be eight weeks, it's right on target.
3: Right on target? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've never lived in a place where they, they sing. I've only visited those places. Oh,
2: they can be quite annoying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my wife is always, did you hear that? That's a, that's a cicada. And I go, yep. And I think it is six weeks. Is it six? Six or is it eight? I'll have I to know. I'll have to do some consulting. We're gonna have to look that one up again. Now, uh, since you've talked about cicadas, I heard that there was some zombie cicadas. Now, you know, with the blue bees and the uh what is it monster bees? No, no uh, what they're calling they're calling them the murder hornets, which is murder totally hornet. accurate. Yeah. Well, uh, apparently this fungus gets into a cicada and rots out their brain, and they just do a slow death, and that's why they call them zombie cicadas. So they have
1: fungi that affect ants the same way and wasps, and and oh. but you gotta you gotta remember, Jerry, uh, insects don't have brains like we do, and I don't know how much physiology you actually want to get into today, but they have they have little. Well, how how do I want to even get into this? It, each body segment has like a little brain in it, but they do have a main brain in their head, right? But yeah, it, it totally affects their nervous system and so they and, have neuro they have neuro bundles throughout yes. their body. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Right. Okay. And and, and they have uh, two nerve cords. So that's we interesting. Only, we only have one. They have two, and it also resides on their belly not on their back <laughs> okay then. How, much, how much physiology do you want to discuss i today? like
2: I like to hear that because <laughs> you know you just you just think that insects should be kind of like you are but they're not they, they're they not. are totally
1: unlike us yeah, yeah so so when the nerve cords get into their neck then it divides it goes around their esophagus and then it combines in their brain and their head so It goes up and around the back when they get into their head. Yeah, cool. I, I
3: had an interesting physiology discovery last week. I've had praying mantis in our yard on a pretty regular basis this summer, which is a new thing for me. I've seen one or two of them here and there in the past. But one of them fell in our pond and met its demise. They don't swim well. So I had say dog paddle. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I tried to save the same one a few weeks earlier and it scurried <laughs> off, but maybe it was destined to, to drown. Anyway, it's the same pond and same area of the pond where it fell in. But I took it out and brought it to the office thinking I was going to pin it to put in my insect collection, which did not go well <laughs> because they have such a large body mass. And uh-huh. I ended up asking Scott Shell for uh, suggestions on pinning it. I was trying to pose the legs and such. Had pretty good luck with that. And then opened the box up the next day and the whole thing had turned black. Yep. And mm. I did not realize that uh, entomologists who collect insects also do some taxidermy. Yes, they do. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> needless to say, that one did not get saved for the insect collection because i did not know this in time
1: yeah so uh they will um, actually cut them open and clean them out and yeah stuff them full of cotton if if they're a large bodied insect yeah
3: yeah, yeah. Now, I, the one i watched was for a walking stick and he put a pipe cleaner in <laughs> in for the uh, the cotton that was stuffed in the body
1: yeah cool I did,
3: yeah i didn't watch one on the praying mantis but um, I did watch an, uh, an entomologist who has a very interesting collection. I think he's a professor somewhere, but he cleaned out one of the ones that's a, uh, looks like a leaf. Oh, sure. That was a large body cavity. And uh, he did stuff that with, with cotton by the time he was done. He also dumped alcohol on it and something else. Now I can't remember One was to dry it out and one was to preserve the color. rubbing alcohol or ethyl alcohol and something i can't can't remember the other one but um it was it was to help dry it out and i gotta
1: i gotta admit that entomologists are a weird breed so you know
3: well (laughs) we we need people to teach that kind of stuff and um i have a master gardener this year who when he was much much younger wanted to become an entomologist until he discovered that entomologists kill insects Right. He didn't want to kill them, so he became a, a civil engineer. But he's now the the one here in our office that gets to do most of the insect identification. And he's getting them right down to species for us. Excellent. So he's very accurate at his work, but he was not into that part of the process.
2: Yeah. Very now, good. Jeff, didn't you tell me before that most insects, uh, the way you kill them is to freeze them? If you're uh, the going to way- take them?
1: So uh, when I was in uh, college, the way to kill them was using a, um, a kill jar mm-hmm. that had cyanide in it. And so we've moved away from that. The kill jars now, if you want to use ethyl acetate, I think that's what it is. The yes. the product that people use for fingernail polish uh, remover. Oh, yeah. Is that ethyl acetate?
3: Acetone.
1: Uh. Acetone. Acetone. So, um if you have a jar and you dip a cotton ball in acetone and put that jar in there, and then you can collect an insect and it, it will kill it. But really the easiest way to kill them is put them in a plastic bag and throw them or a jar or, and throw them in a freezer. And, you know, a couple of days later you can go back. And then if you did want to pin them, you could do that with them at that point in time.
2: But still, if there are, if they're a big enough bug, you have to clear out the cavity, the abdominal cavity. Uh, Sometimes, you know, uh, fortunately for those of us in
1: Wyoming, if they haven't, if your insect you're trying to pin hasn't drowned, it's usually dry enough that most of the time you can get away with pinning them. But, you know, if you don't preserve them correctly, they will lose their color. They will dry up in a weird way if you don't position them how you want them to dry. Mm -hmm. So. How did we turn this show into the bug oh, I, I don't know. know.
3: Yeah. Well, we <laughs> talked about physiology, but one of the things that was really interesting about that video was that he was able to harvest eggs out of the abdomen of the one insect. And okay. he said he was going to save them and hope that they would continue to hatch later on. And and I'm really curious about that. I haven't gotten into any research about how you save and harvest eggs from an insect and have them wow. hatch- in an unnatural and not the the typical way but i'm very curious about how that works so
1: the only way i can um, see that happening is if it was cockroaches
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it wasn't it wasn't but anyway um i was kind of curious about if if they did did hatch so i'm tempted to go back and look at the video and ask the guy again how that worked but um Anyway, it was, it was really interesting to learn some more in-depth information about entomology because of my attempt at using those techniques.
1: Well, I, I'm glad it turned into an entomology show. Some of our listeners yeah. probably won't be, but, you know, that's that's yeah. okay.
3: Maybe we need a hazard comment at the beginning. Some oh, of the comments in this show are disturbing.
2: <laughs> but,
1: the you know, kids, kind
2: of squeamish. Yeah. kids will sometimes press like butterflies in a Mm -hmm. press or they press leaves Mm -hmm. and they press flowers and that sort of thing. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I was thinking of making my kids a a press for Christmas. A plant press. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's interesting to know that you should use only kind of flat insects if you're going to press them and Mm -hmm. dry them out. So, so insects don't
1: necessarily need to be pressed, but plants do. Plants? Insects, insects should be uh, uh, pinned and there are some rules governing all of that yeah. uh, how they should be pinned and then displayed but plants can be pressed and and if you're interested in building a plant press it's it's pretty easy to do basically four pieces of all thread couple of pieces of lumber and then a whole bunch of cardboard with newspaper uh, in between yeah newspaper in between to kind of collect the moisture. So if, if you had all thread and then some big wing nuts to, to uh, tie that, it, it's two, two plates I guess you build a wooden plate on the bottom and a top plate and then you line them up and then uh, just would compress them together with the wing nuts and let it sit and that's a really good way to preserve plants. And then you uh, what you open it up and then you um, you would glue them onto what they consider to be mounting sheets and then you yes. can use them put As put them a in a book paper. or yeah, yeah yeah
3: yeah mine mine doesn't have all thread on it um it has two little snap uh straps with the little clips that slide together and clasp across it and it's it actually belonged to the ag educator who was here before me who was one of the major educators involved in range camp when i was when we were in high school and uh uh I'm sure it's the one that he used when we were at range camp all okay. those same decades ago.
1: Well, and and you could use ratchet straps, too, instead of all yeah.
3: thread. Yep, you could yep.
2: mm-hmm. be the same type of thing. Just
1: yep. crank it any down way, really tight.
3: Any way to get pressure on it.
2: Yeah, yep. And when you're uh, doing that, should you have your leaf a little dry or that's for the newspaper?
1: Yep, yeah. the newspaper will collect any of the moisture, and you when you're putting it in the press, you really want to kind of lay it out so it displays the leaf how, or the shape or the flower. You open it up and set it so you can see the inside of the flower. Yeah. Um,
3: you don't want newspaper. moisture like rainfall or sprinkler water on it, but you want it fairly well hydrated so that you can position it the way that you want so that you get fairly true colors. And that when you display the flower it, it opens up and shows all of the features of the flower or the leaves or whatever it is if it's begun to dry out already sometimes you'll get them to curl and you'll probably get crinkling and cracking possibly breaking of the leaves so usually collected just in their natural habitat and put in a press right away
1: my uh, my senior yearbook looks kind of funky because I used it as a plant book, plant press book. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
2: Mildred. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: it's all crinkly <laughs> and it's got some weird stains in it from uh, plants that have uh, uh, given up their life for my uh, inner interest. There. <laughs> yeah, <that's> interesting. <laughs> hey, uh, so you know, um, weird weather week, right? Things that we need to watch out for, I believe, with our with our plants. Uh, But before we get into that, I think we should probably take a little break and uh, listen to our sponsors. And uh, we'll be back and talk more about how this weather might affect the things to come.
0: Looking for the best way to keep up with all the news from University of Wyoming Extension, the College of Agriculture, and Wyoming Ag Experiment Stations? The uwagnews.com website features real-time education, research and extension events, and feature stories from across the state. Bookmark uwagnews.com today and subscribe to our monthly email newsletter, uwagnews.com. Growing people, knowledge, and communities.
1: Okay, everybody, we're back. This is Jeff and Jerry with the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Our guest today is Donna Hoffman from Casper. And uh, I think for the second half of the show, we might want to talk about the uh, weird cold weather that we had this week and the effect that it might have on uh, plants as we go into the future, uh, particularly on our trees and shrubs and things that weren't ready for this cold snap. So Donna, you know, we we get a lot of phone calls in the springtime where people will mention, you know, my plant doesn't looks so good or, or it's just not greening up like it should, or it's got these dead zones in it that weren't there the year before. And I, I, if I get those phone calls next spring, I'm going to go, well, remember September 9th or 8th or whatever day it was that it got really, really cold because the plants aren't ready. They, they weren't in their normal cold weather type of stuff. So what types of things do we need to be looking for now after we have this cold snap and it warms back up? Uh, what are we going to probably be seeing?
3: Well, it's probably different dependent upon how far away from Torrington you are, um, how close to the mountains you are, or, or the heaviness of the snowfall that occurred. Um, here in Casper, I'm already receiving calls um, of people needing arborists for broken branches, so uh, when I walked into our building here, one of the oak shrubs in our backyard of the extension office was splayed out open and there was a big clump of snow right in the middle of it. So I suspect that one is going to have some trouble standing back up again and we may have to reshape it and shorten the length of the branches so that it's tolerable for everybody to walk past again but um, if it got severe enough that branches were weighted down and have to be removed or cut back because they broke. I would hesitate to have people do much of that work by themselves if they're very large trees, if they're fairly young trees and you can reach most of it without climbing on a ladder with uh, motorized pruning equipment. Maybe you can do it yourself, but if you are in need of an arborist due to the safety, I would recommend getting an ISA certified arborist to do that work for you so that you don't have further liability issues um, that might appear on your homeowners insurance policy. Sure. If, if something goes awry here in Casper we have a, a licensing program so that we have arborists have to have insurance before they can work on homes or trees around homes in in city limits. But there are other places where that's not the case. So do a little bit of homework. Neighborhood where my husband has a house in Rollins that's just about ready to go on the market. Thank goodness. Saturday, they got enough wind that a tree in another neighbor's yard blew over and part of the tree went through the roof right above the guy's bedroom. And luckily it wasn't at nighttime and it landed on a bookshelf and not in the middle of someone's bed. But things can happen with trees because they are so massive that yeah. you want somebody who knows what they're doing and, and has insurance in case of catastrophic occurrences related to those, those problems. But I'm sort of digressed again. Anyway, um, <laughs> we can, we can have small problems like the tomato froze, or in my case, I, I bought 22 new dahlias this year and the first one had bloomed on Sunday and Saturday, and then froze on Monday night. So I, I didn't to, really get to enjoy to, one of them. Yeah, I really didn't get to enjoy them. However, I'm hoping that the bulbs have stored up a lot of energy because they didn't bloom. And next year, I better get a really big show of all <laughs> those wonderful dahlias.
2: So um, Donna, are are you going to dig your dahlia bulbs?
3: Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I, you'll see that that if it gave it a good enough freeze, it'll blacken everything above ground, but not below ground. So your dahlias should be okay.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, with all the covering that I did, that that I'll have some that that maybe made it through. I'm probably being a little bit optimistic on that, but we probably have some array of damage from the tomatoes and the dahlias froze to tree branches broke. And it just depends on how much snow and potentially how much wind those plants had to deal with in the, in the midst of all the cold that came.
1: So Donna, if it gets cold enough, can things like bark splitting, can that occur as well?
3: Yeah. Usually we see that in the middle of winter when things warm up and then cool down and, and get below zero. And that's because there's still water in Mm -hmm. the cells of the plant and that water warms up and then freezes and ice crystals form in it and the ice crystals rupture the cells so we can see some freezing thawing uh, damage i suspect that we'll we'll see foliage over the next several days just like jerry mentioned with the dahlias just turning black because it's frozen and that's because the plants had not even had any indication that That fall was coming and they still had as much water in them as they probably did on July 4th. And, and so we're going to have a lot of freeze damage uh, with plants that just were not prepared for cold, kind of like what happened with that freeze in November of 2014. Of course that was much later in the season, but we've been so warm, uh, especially those that have been watering to maintain plants, because we've been so dry environmentally here that uh, we're probably going to have a lot of freeze damage and some of that may not leaf out again this fall and we we won't know it until next spring
1: well and and the buds for next year could be damaged too so yeah Yeah. uh, i think we're going to see a lot of effects of this next spring right but being human we tend to forget what what happened six months ago. <laughs> so right, right. We, yeah. we have to remember that this uh, is going to have an impact on, on next year.
3: Yeah. So things and- like lilac tend to have, well, they do, they their buds are formed all summer long and they're just primordial miniaturized forms of whatever the leaf or the, bud, the flower buds until spring comes. And since they've, the plant has spent all summer forming those little tiny buds, we may find that those flower buds, were damaged this week, and uh, we never get uh, lilacs that bloom next spring. This, this spring, we had um, some plants like that that were damaged in a spring frost. A lot of the apples here in the Casper area didn't really bloom. Some of them that were later blooming ones did go ahead and bloom, and I've, I've noticed that there are some crab apples around that have a really good crop on them, but I haven't seen anybody that's got a really great apple crop. And, and I think that's because most of those apples um, bloom just a little bit earlier right. than some of the crab apples.
1: So, so here's the weird thing about blooming plants. One of our uh, church members this Sunday came in and said, come pick peaches. I have peaches that are uh, Killing—it's uh, uh, it, so heavy, so loaded that it's busting up the tree. Um, you know, but ag- again, in Torrington, apple production was really low, other fruit production was really low. But here we have this peach that survived and uh, is was doing really well prior to the frost huh. freeze. It must man.
3: be a really late blooming variety.
2: Yeah, it must have been, yeah. Huh. Go and ahead. It was and it was just loaded. Okay, it was right behind the restaurant. Correct. Yes, yes. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Did oh, you help and. Yourself? My, yeah. <laughs> and after, after permission was given. Yes. All right. So there you go. And yeah. so it's, it's always bad to be picking fruit off of someone else's tree without permission. But yes. Uh, uh, and we had been watching that particular peach tree. There's not too many peach trees, I don't think, in Goshen County. There was a pear tree that, that was just north of our office no pears on it whatsoever this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, of course, the early ones, the apricots, we've, we've, we've talked about apricots, they really freeze quickly. It's oh. just peculiar that we've been talking about preparation for coldness in response to the pumpkins. And uh, my neighbor got a, a good cover and a coat on his pumpkin. Yeah, it's it, uh, early freeze, an unexpected freeze from when the Temperatures 100, going down to 26 or so, and we we cry for ourselves, but you know the ranchers and farmers they're they're the ones that really are losing out on that. Yeah, so you know the next week things are just going to turn
1: black, right? <laughs> uh, More than likely, if you know if the corn wasn't quite mature enough, you know it, it's going to affect a lot of people. So what do we do, right? Yeah. Just deal with it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well,
3: you go on you just and have to. work for the best and work through all that tough stuff.
1: Yep. Okay, let's not get depressed in the radio program. All right, let's here we go. Other stuff.
2: <laughs> so my lawn guy brought me some lawn clippings and some leaf clippings. And so I've, I've indicated a nice spot for that to go in. And that'll be nice to rototill in when I do my event. But I, I would I would like to say that that I think that there's something of uh, the way God wants us to eat tomatoes, green, <laughs> uh, no, it, it's either in a BLT, bacon lettuce tomato, or this recipe that we discovered this weekend. It's frying your bacon and rutabagas together. Like you chop up your rutabagas like potatoes, fry them with bacon and onion. And then you add in thin sliced cabbage. And I'll tell you what, that's really good. I'll bet that is really good. That sounds really good. So I think God wants us to eat tomatoes two ways, in cabbage and in BLTs. <laughs> that's what I got to say.
3: I'm not sure I am i won't have any rutabagas to, to use in that way. I suppose I could go purchase them, but I bet parsnips would be... Another good substitute for. i I'll,
2: I'll bet that would that, and that's the first time I really used rutabagas. Myrna's Myrna's used them before, and she goes here, peel it, chop it up in like a potato, put that in first with your onions and your bacon. Hmm. You, you could imagine... shred
3: them like hash browns too. Could you oh, really? Yeah. I would, yeah. Huh. I...
2: They're firm enough. You could. I mean, they're they're really firm.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Interesting. So. Just my little take on it. So our version of BLT is a BAT. Bacon, avocado, and tomato. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a little garlic pesto, correct?
1: Ooh, I uh, hadn't thought about that, but sure. You sure. You
3: could make aioli sauce to go with it, Ben.
1: Yeah. Okay, now you're making me hungry. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Excuse me while I go get a sandwich. Um, <laughs> So I had my, my garlic and my onions in drying in a small wheelbarrow. So I was able to take those and put them in a nice big flat and take those into the garage, as well as all the rest of the things that was outside that didn't want to get frozen. So my onions did not get as big as I would have hoped this year. Uh, They're just underneath a softball. And I, I'm really looking for onions that are I mean, a hardball. Oh, okay. They were, they were just under a hardball. I would like to have them as a softball. Uh, just grow more of them, Jerry. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, even a small onion, if it's a keeper, they're just as good as a big one.
1: Sure, yeah. But if you want more onion, just grow more onion if you can't
2: grow them softball size. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just grow more of them. That's you know, right. So the, the people that do not like onions... Yeah, you have to wonder what their karma is, and then you said that that one spigot on your on your watering thing. Yeah, maybe that's just karma because you don't like onions. It could possibly be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but all the so, spigots were taken care of this year, so uh, all
2: right. at least during this cold snap. I don't know about the next. One. <laughs> so Donna, the last time we spoke. Noah had said that it was the third hottest June on record. Right. And so I'd like to hear what they have to say about our past freeze. Or September? Yeah. Right.
3: Yeah. Uh, I did hear over the weekend, it hasn't happened since the fall of 1985. So it hasn't happened since some of us were in college. And I don't recall a big snowstorm in the fall of 85. But anyway, that's that's when I had heard that that the last occurrence, very similar to this had had happened.
1: So here's the deal. People who planted trees since then, fruit trees, whatever, probably been doing really well. Yes. Now, yes. <laughs> since we live in an environment where we're not supposed to be growing trees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, 25 years later or 30, whatever it is, uh you know, it's, um, you're, you're get, you get to start over again.
2: Right. Yeah. So we've all taken off our, the hoses off of our outside faucets. Uh, Donna, what are your recommendations for now fall watering? I mean, there was probably some water in this storm that, that happened, but what's your recommendations moving forward?
3: Well, I would say just to protect the Faucets. We've taken our hoses off the faucet, but I, I would not put them away for permanent storage because if you don't have a sprinkler system um, that you just drained the, I can't remember, the risers?
1: The anti-siphon valve, the risers, yeah.
3: Yeah, so those you can just start them back up and, and use it again once temperatures get up and your your lawn needs water again. Those of us who drag garden hoses, I would say get them back out. Or, or just, I just left mine coiled up on the, the hose reel on the outside of the house. I strung some of them in the backyard. We have a slope, so I just laid them out so that they they ran downhill, but disconnected them from the house. And uh, I hook them back up, and I'll continue to be watering until we really do get winter weather. But it's a good idea to keep a hose somewhere handy so that even in the winter time you can do some winter watering because uh, we do tend to have winters that are open and dry enough that that the plants st- especially the trees need water because they you know we think of them as as being dormant and asleep but um, they still need a drink of water periodically they they aren't in a hibernating state like a bear where they don't need a drink of water, but but they do need to to maintain a level of moisture. If they get desiccated and and freeze, that's not a good uh, happening for a tree for the long term. So, I I would keep hoses handy so that they can be used throughout the fall and winter.
2: Now, is this a good time to start clipping your apple trees and tr- and pruning?
3: A good time to prune, yes, uh, especially if there's any damage. You want to get that cleaned up right away, and then, then you know where where you're going to start from come spring. If you're trying to, I have a tree here at the extension office that the branches have got rather long, and uh, I'm going to be shortening some of those branches so that, that they're not leaning one direction or looking on, on the lopsided side. So it's a good time to work on the shape of the tree and uh, doing any kind of pruning work to to uh, improve the aesthetics of the tree, as well as removing anything that, that has been damaged or might be a health concern for that tree in the future months.
2: I know walking through our, I took an assessment prior to the freeze, and even some of the roses, uh, I had one particular rose that had, I don't know, three or four canes that just got, and they were thick, about the size of, my thumb, mm-hmm. and seven foot high, seven foot tall. Mm-hmm. And it just just, <laughs> that, that's all it was, was three or four of them that just like shot up and out. Yeah. And so uh, I'm thinking that they needed to be trimmed off, trimmed back down to maintain the support of the root, correct?
3: Yes. Now, if that was a grape, we'd call it a bull cane and you definitely would want to remove a bull cane. I've never heard of that occurring on roses, but for some reason it, it, I'm guessing it had no roses on it. It was just. No, just leaf. Yeah. So um, I, I would probably take that whole thing back to the crown of the plant and remove that whole cane.
2: Okay.
1: it,
3: It probably won't ever be floriferous.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I'll do that. I, yeah, I'll, I'll do that on my rototilling event weekend.
3: Be careful with the <laughs> whole plant that way.
2: Oh, amen. Yeah, you can't roll it. You should not rototill near your roses. Right. Because they have the roots that, that go out as well as down.
3: Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, most most plants, woody ornamentals, have roots in the top, oh, six to 18 inches of the soil. And with trees and shrubs, the, the distance out from the plant is up to three to five times the height of the plant. Wow. Yeah. So that peach tree that you all were talking about, yes. I don't know how tall it is, but think about three to five times the height of that tree and uh, anything in the top six, eight, 10 inches can do a lot of damage to that root system on a particularly precious tree. Well, I mean, they
2: they put a they put a cement sidewalk on it. Yeah, it's next to a parking lot. Yeah, and I think that that has to be one of the oldest peach trees. Oh, in Goshen County,
3: maybe in the state. Since yeah, we're one of the warmer warmer claims in in the state.
2: Yeah, I know when they were doing the project site for our prison, it came out that Torrington was the warmest, consistently the warmest area in the state.
3: Yeah, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all.
2: So until there. We have a weird event like this that <laughs> until we have a weird snap. event. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that hit the whole state, didn't it? Didn't it? Yeah.
3: I haven't heard of any of the areas of the state that got missed.
1: Yeah, I yeah. think Riverton was supposed to get snow four inches at least. And looking at some of the weather maps, I think it pretty much hit all of the state. Although yeah. I don't know about like Kemmerer, that well, end of the state.
3: I heard that part of I eighty. Around Evanston was closed, so okay. I think I think we got a pretty big percentage. Pretty covered 100%. up, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> I kept the whole- watching the radar map on Monday, watching it go into South Dakota and praying that it would just keep going into South Dakota and miss us. But it was some pretty severe optimism on my part. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I have a Uh, friend on the East coast and they, and she always goes, yeah, we're going to get that in about three days. Right. I'm I'm afraid so. Yeah. 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 So uh, Jerry, I think we're coming
1: up close to our end time here. Anything going on in the County this weekend
2: that um, folks should be aware of, you know, other than now walking through and doing an assessment, like Donna said, look at your trees, get an arborist. It looks easy. It, they make it look real easy, and all you have to do is climb a ladder, right, with your saw. Not so much. I've fallen off of a ladder, broke my elbow. Nice. I've fallen off a ladder and jacked up my knees. It's not for those who are subject to fall anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and Have, or, have poor balance. <laughs> and or those that really need to stay on the ground. And yes. uh, I, I've become one of those people that need to stay on the ground. So yeah, I, I would, uh, I was wanting to drive by the, the standing gardens, the vertical gardens to see how they fared out, but Uh, I didn't, I did not get an opportunity or chance to do that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, again, you know, it's going to rebound. Our, our weather is turning nice again. And so Yeah, just keep your eye to the sky and and watch that temperature gauge. So
3: I'm curious because you guys have one of the biggest big pumpkin contests down there. How do you think the pumpkins for the contest are going to fare?
2: Well, since it's so early, we're a month out. Well, not quite a month, but it's October 3rd that we have our contest. Mm. So if you had not been watching the weather, there's a good chance that your canopy would be dead. Mm-hmm. But if you've put a coat or a blanket over your pumpkin, it should be okay. And then, like I said, as the temperatures rebound, you you need to keep that coat on it, I think, from sun scald and that sort of thing, because there won't be any canopy left. But, you know, you'd still water it. Uh, I think that perhaps we'll have fewer contestants as a result of this Early freeze. yeah, sure. yeah. Yep. Well, uh, with all those things in mind, uh,
1: I think it's probably time that we uh, say goodbye for another week. And, um, you know, it's uh, time to reevaluate, get out, take a look at your yard, take a look at your plants. If you need assistance, find an arborist, find others that can help you, those types of things. Wish we could end on a happier note, but uh, things will improve. The weather will get better.
3: There's still things to do in the garden and still, yep. still activities to do. So don't give up on your gardening. And if nothing else, this gives us an opportunity to take better care of our, our tools and equipment going into winter. And so um, every shovel in the state will probably be very sharp by the time um, the season goes. Or somebody's going to find that they have time to paint the house before winter sets in. Now that they are not going to be spending the energy in the gardening area.
1: Yep, yep. Other things to do. So uh, thank you all for uh, being here today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we do appreciate our listeners. Seems that uh, we get compliments and uh, constructive criticism all the time. So um, thank you all for being there. We'll uh, we'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to Lawn and Garden with University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Erschebeck. Catch next week's episode Tuesday at Noon on Spotify or Extension's horticulture page.